And now I will give you the secret for perfect enlightenment, providing BMC conditions prevail. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. This is this is an ugly, ugly story. Yes, it is. <laughs> it reminds me of the old. Reminds me that there was an old joke, aviation joke, uh, years ago. That oh um, yeah, I, I landed in a in a sewage pond. Yeah. History did not record his first words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a family podcast, so we can't record it and, either. And we can't reproduce them. So, uh, but this these poor guys. Um, I, I'm I, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of their names. Yeah, I know it's rough. I'm Amandeep Singh. Amandeep Singh, and uh, he was the pilot. And um, Hashdeep. Uh, Hashdeep Multani. How's yes. that? Um, thank you. That's Hi, good. Thank that's you. Good. I, that's very good. Yeah, Hashdeep Multani yeah. uh, was the passenger. They crashed about 10:44 a.m. according to this newspaper Saturday morning, uh, in in the San Diego area. Um, Witnesses said the plane flew low over the airport and clipped a power pole. Uh, but in, in, in coming to ground, it struck and broke a valve on an above-ground pipe at a sewage pumping station. Okay, now here's the punchline. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a 30-foot geyser of sewage rained down on rescuers as they freed the pilot whose leg was pinned inside the airplane. Ew. Ew. There's there's a polite word for what came out of that pipe uh, from the industry called effluent. 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 That's one of the things I like about this. I think that would make me affluent in a lot of language. Yeah. Yeah. This story is very creative. They they came up with many different euphemisms for, uh, you know, what what Dave put, or I think whoever put as the headline in our little story list that we can't use in the podcast. But uh, ten firefighters, four police officers, and one public <laughs> works official had to be decontaminated at the scene. According to this, they had to strip down to their shorts and be hosed down near the crash site. The uniforms and protective gear were disposed of by county health officials. Um, <laughs> No one said anything about you know the pilots how how they were the the, the people on board how they were decontaminated, but uh, I think oh, clearly man, they were this just is, in deep do no doubt yeah, about it deep do this is one Skyhawk that um, I don't know that they're going to part out. Well, you know, it reminds me of the story from the guy that worked in the airline business. Oh and, yeah, uh, his, his his social life was lousy. And, you know, he'd go into a bar and people would move away from him at the bar and he'd sit down at a booth with friends and friends would all make excuses and leave. And, and uh, you know, he nobody would give him a clue what the problem was. So he made an appointment with the family doctor, went in the family doctor and the doctor said, man, what do you do for a living? And he goes, oh, I'm the guy that runs up to the airliner and puts the hose fitting <laughs> in there to drain the uh, lavatory holding tanks. And the doctor said, yeah, what's that like? And he goes, well, you know, when you're putting it on and getting started and then taking it off a little bit, it runs down your arms. And uh, he said, I really scrub hard, but uh, I'm beginning to think that uh, there's there's got to be a way around this, Doc. What, what do you suggest? Have you ever thought about changing jobs? And the guy said, what? And give up aviation? <laughs> yes, indeedy. You know, I have a similar version of that story that involves the the theater world or a show business world and the uh, the guy at the end of the parade collecting the elephant effluent. Uh, oh, yeah. Give yeah. up show business? What? And give up show business? Well, speaking of show business, welcome, folks, to episode 119 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. We're recording this episode on uh, Tuesday evening, January Wait a minute, 27th. I wrote 17th, but it's 27th, 2009. Uh, you know, I'm just getting confused about the dates. It seems like we're doing this podcast like like three and four times a week. I, yeah. I don't quite understand how it is we record every four days, but we do one episode a week. This is, like, confusing to me. 
Uh, I don't know, but the beer backlog's building up, and that's fine with me. Uh, the sun and fun's coming around the corner, and I'm going to be thirsty. I was only late so far on one on three episodes, one recently. So, uh, <laughs> and uh, I had hopes of catching up here, but uh, well, that's a long story for. That's, uh, that's that's for the administrative section of the forum. We'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> before we leave this uh, Oceanside, California thing. Yeah. Uh, hats off to uh, to the pilot and passenger, and our our sympathies go with them and. A man, a big wing tip, tip of the wing to the uh, emergency uh, personnel who had to wade through all that <clears throat> affluent to do their job. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure that folks uh, downwind of them knew they were coming for days after that. That's right. Yep. Yes, well, indeed. let me say hi to my friends here in the hangar. One of those voices out there is Dave Higdon, who is joining us, talking us, talking to us, is with us. Really? He's Easy for you to say. Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I understand it's been I'm, cold out there. Well, let's put it this way. You don't need a forecast to know it's icing conditions for the last 24 hours or so. <laughs> yeah. Is it actually precipitating as well or just cold? Oh, no. It's been precipitating. Uh, uh, Monday afternoon, we started to get uh, freezing rain. Very light, but very persistent. And that continued until uh, after midnight. And then after midnight, it turned to ice pellets. And then uh, just before dawn, it turned to snow. And amazingly, the accumulation isn't even a half inch. But it has made a uh, real... uh, Real entertaining. I was walking our family hound this afternoon, and lady came around a curve on this brick street in front of my house, and promptly, promptly did her imitation of a ground loop, <laughs> and because uh, it's a brick street and it's yeah. glazed over with ice. And the funny thing is, funny as in, holy cow, uh, it is way worse down in Oklahoma and and into North Texas, over really? into Arkansas, and is in, and is like this all the way up through the Ohio River Valley. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, one big long snaky ice storm. Yeah, you had a chance wow. to do any flying recently? I'm sorry. Have you had a chance to do any flying recently? Well, I was going to do some flying here in a couple of days, but that involved driving to North Texas to uh, meet the airplane. And I've just sent an email to the gentleman that I was supposed to be meeting there, suggesting that I I really need to reschedule this because the roads through Oklahoma, and it gets very hilly uh, driving, particularly south of Oklahoma City, mm-hmm. uh, checking with the Oklahoma DOT and their highway department, uh, they suggested to me that it, it I, I, I should wait at least until Friday. What were you going to fly? Can you tell us? Uh, well, it's a little little uh, airplane that uh, comes out of the uh, ultralight movement that I first flew back about 27 years ago, mm-hmm. and I should probably just leave it at that for okay. now. Hey, and that other voice out there tonight is uh, Jeb Burnside talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. Is it warm up there yet? Where it's not cold at all here. Yeah, it's uh, it was seventy seventy five today. Okay, all right. uh, which I'll take any day of the week. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, we were supposed to be down there now. But you're right. Uh, uh, we had a little cold snap early last week. It, it's been you know progressively warmer each day. Uh, had a delightful weekend. Um, and uh, we're you know, really sorry about all you folks out in the Midwest. Yeah, I bet you are. <laughs> kind of, sort of. But I, uh, I, I actually don't mind it all that much if uh, there's nothing pressing on my travel agenda. Right, yeah. right. And uh, it's been cold enough the last 24 hours. I mean, it, we haven't seen 20 since uh, Saturday. Uh, and I got a, an Arctic... Uh, Arctic-capable snowmobile suit that I've been using to uh, get out in the weather. And uh, it's amazing how tolerable it is when you tuck yourself into that and uh, and then just go blasting off walking around the woods. So, yeah. How about hmm. you, Jeb? You do any flying? Uh, went up uh, around the patch a little bit. Um, let's say today's Sunday evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, took uh, one of the neighbors here. Um, he just wanted to go for a ride in the airplane, and I wanted to kind of check out the the surroundings that this was you know right around dusk kind of thing right right you're still and, trying to get uh, sort of uh comfortable with your yeah slightly yeah. shorter than average runway yeah and, and it's it's not you know i we were fairly heavy coming out he's a, he's a large gentleman and, and had the girlfriend in the back seat also so uh but we that's came a good right chest. that's a good yeah. chest 
Mm-hmm. And it came right out and uh, had no issues. So uh, I made one of my better landings uh, coming back in, and uh, um, so far, so good. Sounds so, good. Yeah. Yeah. Have, you, have you met any of your airplane neighbors there? Any, anything particularly cool that's come out of a hangar since you've arrived? Um, well, I mentioned the uh, in one episode, I mentioned the BT-13 Volte Vibrate. You did, yeah. Um, there's a gentleman down the way. He was actually kind of in the pattern with us Sunday night. I believe he has a, I believe he was flying a Commonwealth, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a late 40s design. Um there's, uh, I don't know if I mentioned or not, there's a uh, 450 Stearman uh, mm-hmm. somewhere on the airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, saw it the other day. Um, there's another Bonanza, at least one other Bonanza. Uh, Debonair, this was, uh, it's either a 36 or a 33. I didn't get a good look at it. When it goes over your head at 100 knots, it's kind of hard to mm-hmm. to uh, get a good look at it. Um there's some other. There's some interesting stuff tucked away. Yeah, it's absolutely. A fun neighborhood yeah. you found yourself in down there. It, it really. Oh, there's a there's a clipped wing tailor craft that comes and goes a lot too. Uh-huh. Oh, very uh, cool. And it it uses a lot of runway. Actually, I'm surprised how much runway it uses. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was, I was kind of surprised. I, I probably about as much as I would use in the debonair. Uh-huh. Well, and if you, I don't know you what know, engine if you, take, it has in it, but, if you take ten, twelve feet off the span of yeah. something like a T craft, uh, you you wind up with a substantially higher wing loading, and everything you know, everything kind of goes up from there, including uh-huh. stall speed. So exactly right. Exactly now, I never right. thought about that before. What, what's the the origin of the of the clipped wing? situation there did they uh, was mainly, originally a longer one and they made them shorter or, or what exactly what? right exactly Why? right um maneuverability mainly i don't know if they do acro in this one or not oh. uh i suppose they that's could that's usually that's usually you know. one of the two goals out of clipping uh you know there's guys have clipped wings off cubs and cut them down uh i've seen some ultralight designs like the the drifter that uh you know builders clipped them from 35 foot spans down to 22 uh, they make them go faster for one thing yeah they are faster mm-hmm. they are faster yeah. Yeah. uh obviously they don't have the short field capability and i don't know um i don't know what that does um, for example, to uh, maneuvering speeds or, or structural integrity, things like that. I don't know if they can depends sustain. Depends on what else you do to the wing yeah. structure. Yeah. 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 But it does increase your roll rate. Oh, yeah. Big time. I bet Big it time. does. I bet it does. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Hey, and I am Jack Hodgson. And, Yay! Uh, I'm talking to you from uh, UCAP World Headquarters in Dover, New Hampshire. So, How cold is it up there? Uh, it's about as cold as Dave was describing. Um, the thing that's notable up here is is that we, for the last couple of winters, have been getting huge amounts of snow. Uh, we are now forecast to get yet another 12-inch snowstorm tomorrow during the day here. And uh, it just seems like every other week or even every week we get snow. And usually in in not simply, you know, a couple inches, we get, we've, we've gotten many 12-inch snowstorms here this this winter already. And, well... Uh, you know, last year, everybody, when it got to, to late March and early April here in, in New Hampshire, everybody, I, I'm not joking, people were actually hoping it would snow just a little bit more because we were on the verge of breaking the all-time record for snowfall really? in New Hampshire. And we missed wow. it by like, like like two inches or something like that, you know. Um, and so I think, I haven't actually heard the numbers, but we must be headed on a, on a record pace again up here. And uh, now you'd think all that lead-in about asking about your flying would be because I've been doing flying, but I haven't actually. I still have not resumed by yet. Well, with, with uh, you know, a foot of snow on the ground every other week or something like that, gee, I can't imagine why you haven't been doing much flying. Well, it's not the snow it's the cold i'm just a big you know it's like i have this image of if i could if i could pre-flight the airplane in the hangar all right if i could pre-flight it and climb on board and then have a little clicker like i do in my car all right to open the hangar door and then start up and taxi out in the airplane in other words if i didn't have to deal directly with the cold weather it would be Uh a big difference but uh, the idea of going out and crawling around on an airplane not only in a cold day but probably a windy ramp and uh, just kind of doesn't appeal you know if you no. if you just got to be the is the airplane hangered normally? Yes. Okay. Be the first one to get there. 
do the pre-flight, button yeah. up, and then and then ask the guy to, to come open the door and tow you out when you're ready. Uh, that's been done for me here, oh, yeah. uh, here and in other parts of the country many times. You know, I was thinking about that, and I was trying to decide if there were any, you know, so sh- how concerned would, should you be about something that might happen to the airplane while it's being towed out? The biggest concern you would have is whether to tip the guy a 10 or a 20. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, I'll yeah. consider that because uh, it's, it's you know, often. I mean, if you want to be really conservative, make sure that the keys are laying on the glare shield. Right, right. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, that way no, nothing, you know, there's no conceivable way the starter is going to get bumped and you, and you maybe, you know, whack a prop against a tow bar. But, uh, man, we, we, we had to get. Air Comanche tucked into a hangar over at Spirit of St. Louis some years ago because it collected about three quarters of an inch of ice in a overnight storm and then freezing fog the next morning. And uh, it was just early enough in fall that they didn't have de-icing fluid on the airport yet, but they did have heated hangar space. So they shoved us into a heated hangar, and we went and grabbed a bite and came back a couple hours later, made sure that all the water was out of everywhere, waited a little longer so that, you know, the engine oil wasn't, uh, you know, thick like molasses coming out of a sap maple tree in New England. And, and, uh, you know, when we were ready, we called the... uh, the desk on the radio and said we were ready and you know the guy pushed a button the electric doors opened the hangar tug pulled up threw the tow bar on us towed us out onto the ramp unhooked us put the key in the ignition lit the fire and off we went well that sounds just about perfect to me I, yeah. uh, well there's another alternative yeah Get your butt on a on a air train and get get down here, and you won't need to <laughs> move someplace where it's civilized. I know, yeah, I know, I know. No. But listen, you know, the fact of the matter is, I am the exception here. All right, because there are there are certainly those people who love flying in the winter and in the snow. One great example is my favorite fly-in that I've never been to. Uh, and and having said all this stuff about cold and snow, I really have always wanted to go to this fly-in. And this is the, uh, the yeah, me too. The EAA ski plane fly-in at uh, Pioneer Airport. Uh, right out behind the EA Museum uh, on the uh, AirVenture grounds. And uh, they apparently held it this past weekend, and uh, looks like they had just ideal conditions for this here. Yeah. There's a terrific picture here. Um, As opposed to other years when, you know, they wouldn't have snow at all. Yeah, or... they, well, there's no, apparently no shortage of snow in uh, in Wisconsin this year. And uh, But not only is there plenty of snow, last year they did it, I think it was last year, and they had snow, but it was also a, 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 just a really bad IMC day. I mean, just, and they had like one airplane snuck through a hole in the cloud, and that's the only airplane that actually flew in or something like that. Well, and they, they, they make a party of it, even if they don't get to fly the ski planes, right. because uh, this year, as in years past, they uh, also use the uh, ski plane fly-in day as the excuse to celebrate EAA's founding then this year was no exception the 56th anniversary of the first meeting of the experimental aircraft association which was january 26th and 53 and audrey pobrezny tom pobrezny's uh, mom and and paul's uh, lovely wife uh they have a big chili feed uh, chili and chicken soup and all that for all the people that show up and birthday cake because it's also right around audrey's birthday so hmm. uh you know you it's something to pictures? attend even if they don't get to do the the ski flying have you looked I at these the pictures chili goes over well. these pictures are awesome there's just a whole bunch of pictures from the fly-in um there's some great pictures of airplanes there's an, a really really nice picture of paul um i'm flipping through the pictures if you click directly to 15 there's our friend kelly nelson and uh, and her kid remember kelly works with us on the oh, yeah. Today paper and yeah. uh and uh her baby we met her baby for the first time uh, last summer i believe it was uh at the uh, at the uh, fly-in so uh what a great this oh, is just and, a and, and, you know, is, i mean typical of eaa this is just a total family affair here yeah. and oh uh, and that's an hg frouchy photo too how cool yeah we know hg there's a picture of hg a couple on later on there um well and, and we were talking about clipped wing t-craft a little while ago yeah. and here's a non-clipped wing t-craft mm-hmm. on skis the very first photo out of the box yeah. so that's uh, yeah something to get to one of these days oh, and these i was impressed that some guy drove up from arkansas to do this yeah 
I've considered driving out from New England. I mean, I just would really love... The problem is you just don't know in advance. And I'd have to leave like two days in advance, and you just don't know if the weather's going to be right. You don't want to drive all that way for, you know, an overcast day. This is These pictures are awesome. Uh, listeners, yeah, they really you gotta, are. you got to check this out. This looks like it was just an awesome day um, at Pioneer Airport. And uh, It I, does look cold. Yeah, well, I guess that's the point. Huh? But a uh, lot of great airplanes on skis. Oh, oh, this is terrific. Uh, oh, here's a shot of Papa Paul. Yep. Taken by our, our, our good buddy and Air Venture Today co-photographer, Phil Weston. Oh, it did. Which, which number? Which number? Number three. Number three? Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, how about that? Good job, Phil. Nice picture. Oh, Phil's the he best. Did. Yeah, he is. Nice. Number picture. four is another Phil shot. Uh, oh, good for him. Looks like he got out for the full day. I have to send him a note saying I'm jealous. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, you know, Moving one of these right days, along. one of these days, I'm going to get to this thing. I, I really want to uh, kind of experience that. And this, these pictures are everything I, I had envisioned it to be. What a, what a great day it must have been. Um, not nearly as exciting, but but a pretty exciting in its own right. I got email uh, the other day from the folks at the uh, New Hampshire Aeronautics Aviation Association. I'm sorry, that's terrible. I don't know the actual name of the organization. But they sort of uh, are the the evangelists for the, uh, the Alton Bay Ice Airport that I've spoken about in the past. And they were letting us know that the Ice Airport is up and running this year. And they, Oh, cool. Uh, we talked about this a couple a bunch of episodes ago. They were looking for a manager. Now the uh, Ossipee Aviation folks had retired, and uh, they've apparently found someone to be the manager uh, who is uh, is uh, taking care of making sure the runway gets plowed, and apparently it's operating, although it's going to get a foot of snow on it tomorrow, so hopefully they'll get it plowed out again. I, it, assuming they get it plowed out, I'm going to actually hop in my car on Saturday morning and drive on up there and uh, check it out. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Um, so if you're in the New England area and you want a taste of this kind of thing, you can land on the Alton Bay Ice Airport on a wheeled aircraft uh, if you're so adventurous. Um, it looks like it is an adventure sometimes, <laughs> but you don't, it doesn't require skis is my point. And, uh, um doesn't require brakes either. It, well, it probably doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't probably benefit from brakes. But uh, an ice axe might not be a bad thing to have on a rope, so you can throw it out and slow yourself down. Throw out an anchor, maybe. That's right. That's right. So, anyways, very cool. It looks like everybody had a great time. I'm I'm proud for them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad they had the real weather for it this year yeah. too. Yeah. So here's a story that we actually talked about this story. This is going to be odd for us to talk about again. Um, We talked about this in, I believe, episode 117, and because we were having such terrible uh, sound quality problems that day, uh, I had to cut some things out, and this was one of the discussions that that kind of didn't make it make it through the cut and uh and i was and i was listening some of the things i cut it was kind of like okay this is kind of marginal anyways but this particular story as i was listening to us talk about it as best we could i could hear it i'm thinking this is this is an interesting story we should come back to this again so let's come back to it again and that is still applicable yeah now this is a list that was produced who dave by mbaa and National Business Aviation Association uh, produced this list and put it on their website a couple of weeks ago. And tell us what the list is of. Well, it's a list of uh, of uh, non-federalized airports that support commercial air service and reliever airports that occasionally support air service as a reliever and are definitely uh, of the kind and nature to receive uh, uh, business jet charter traffic. And this is the list of airports that the NBAA says, and and others as well, say it will be uh, the tip of the iceberg of airports that are affected by our lovely large aircraft security program proposed by our good friends at the uh, 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 Transportation Security Administration. and I actually had a number here. It was a little over 300 airports yeah. around the country. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a body of thinking that it is uh, a list that doesn't include some other airports that, by virtue of having enough runway, even though they're not <laughs> designated relievers, have runways capable of receiving aircraft that uh, weigh more than 12,500 pounds. Uh, for example, uh, let's see, I want to find Kansas here among the relievers. Okay, here in my neighborhood, there's uh, Newton City County, EWK, uh, up the road near Kansas City, Johnson County Executive, 
and New Century Air Center, and then back here locally, Colonel James Jabara Airports, Alpha Alpha Oscar. Uh, in my hometown in Indiana, Clark Regional, Juliet Victor Yankee, and right across the river, Bowman Field. Now, these are, these are commercial service airports, mm-hmm. but they can serve as a reliever. And they are designated as reliever for GA traffic primarily. But uh, this list doesn't include, uh, for example, uh, three Alpha Uniform, Augusta Municipal, which has a 4,200-foot runway of the strength necessary to handle jets up into the uh, 20,000-pound range. So Um, now let me see if I understand this. This is significant because... Many people might think that because they just fly a 172, they're not going to be affected by the large aircraft security program. But the fact of the matter is that because if you fly your 172 in or out of one of these airports, you will by default, by by, by de facto, be affected by LASP because there will be broad-based controls put on place in these airports. Because the airport will be affected by LSAP to the point of having to create uh, a security program. And these airports have already had to create a security program, but they're going to have to create special areas that can be isolated from the non- uh, 12,500 pound traffic, uh, where passengers can be sequestered and their luggage can be protected from the rest of the potential ne'er do wells that hang out at GA and, and inspected, not, not, and, yeah. and inspected. Yeah. Oh, I'm not done with this yet. Okay. Baby. okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, uh, you know, it, it's going to affect the physical plan. It's going to affect the physical movement. It's going to affect the practices there. For example, at, uh, at Jabara, uh, Jeffersonville, Indiana, Bowman Field, uh, Augusta, Kansas. Uh, you can uh, literally check at the gate and pull your airplane out there or pull your car out there to load or unload your airplane. Uh, you don't have to have uh, a, a personal escort or a special badge to walk around on the ramp to go to and from your airplane. That will change at these affected airports if the LASB, uh, as proposed, uh, becomes reality. Now, we're really hopeful uh, that as proposed is going to wind up being a a non-starter. We've had a change in administration. Uh, The administration's already gone on notice as being uh, interested in looking at regulations proposed and not yet fully enacted and passed a proposal point. The executive order that President Obama signed shortly after coming into office uh, a little over a week ago uh, did not put a stop to the NPRM for the Large Aircraft Security Program. But when the end of the comment period comes, there is a tremendous amount of vetting that has to occur, and there's going to be some different people in charge at the top. There's going to be different people in charge at the office and management and budget, which is a lot of you may not realize is really who finally decides which of these things becomes reality and which don't. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's some optimism here. And uh, the most recent meeting out in California, uh, the public meeting, uh, <clears throat> even the uh, head of security for Los Angeles airports, a Los Angeles airports head cop said that this was a bad idea, that it does not solve a problem, that it kills the, the, soon, the patient with the medicine. The soon-to-be former head Law enforcement official for Los Angeles airports. <laughs> <clears throat> um, well, no, Dave's Dave's one hundred and ten percent spot on, um, and uh, I guess you know. Us. Uh, well, this this time, uh, <clears throat> um, some of the things that uh, tenants uh, at at these airports and other airports, uh, because they're. Um, along that run, have runways long enough, or they have uh, um, aircraft based there that um, uh, meet this uh, large aircraft definition, and and in this case, the TSA for once did pull a uh, and uh, did look at FAA regs, and they just pulled the large aircraft definition, which is in excess of twelve thousand five hundred pounds maximum gross takeoff weight. So if you've got you know uh, a later model citation. 
um, just about any Learjet, uh, any of the newer ones anyway. King Air uh, King 200, Air 3, King Air 350. King Air 200 does not meet the definition, um, but the 300, 350 do. Uh, King Air 200 is 12.5 exactly. We're talking about in excess of 12.5. But there's some STCs for that airplane that raise the gross weight. Yeah, there are. Um, I'm not going to tell TSA that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I mean, punchline in all this is th- the kind of things that you'll be looking for are um, – Areas on the ramp where you cannot taxi. Uh, we saw that down at um, Punta Gorda, Florida uh, last year, where uh, all of a sudden Punta Gorda, which was a sleepy little uh, uh, facility that had, did not have scheduled service, some airline decided that it was going to try to circumvent Sarasota and Fort Myers and some other destinations here in southwest Florida and uh, started doing uh, uh, scheduled service into Punta Gorda. Well, they've had to paint this huge yellow square on the ramp and, you know, of course, didn't really communicate any of this to the local pilots and they go smoking through there and just taxiing and they get violated or they get to- they get a talking to. You'll have to get, for example, to, in some airports to access some areas if not the entire airport, you'll have to get fingerprinted and get an ID, a photo ID, uh, or be escorted um, by someone who works at the airport to access your airplane. Um, And don't think for a minute that the expense of getting photographed and fingerprinted and having a card and all this kind of thing is something that your tax dollars will cover. It will come out of your pocket. Oh, in fact, uh, the TSA's own estimate of this, of the cost of this program, which a lot of people think is woefully low, is $200 million, 85% of which they say will be borne directly by the airports and the general aviation operators affected. What they don't say is that um, those are that's probably a one-time cost and does not consider all the recurring costs. That no, people will have, that people will incur. So, um, and and again, this um, this list of airports is um, a reasonable list. It's one that the NBAA and others can accurately point to as these airports will be affected because these of are, their yeah. proximity, because of the air, uh, aircraft based there. For whatever other reasons, um, well, these are actually not, desi- federal designations. Uh, the uh, right. non-federalized well, airports supporting commercial airlines and relievers, and there are a lot of airports out there that will be affected that don't have these designations. So keep going. That. I was just going to say that. I'm sorry. It's okay. What a team um, you guys are. Yeah, the, the punchline is that uh, you everybody will be affected by this. Everybody in the aviation community will be affected by this, and. It doesn't serve any good purpose. Yeah. Um, um, it's more security theater. It's more voodoo security. It's more uh, feather bedding uh, and, uh, by the TSA. Uh, it's mission creep uh, um, institutionalized. And, 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 um, and it's a continuation of that creep that makes this an issue for mm-hmm. that ma- great majority of us who do not operate or fly aircraft that weigh more than 12,500 pounds because maybe they're not going to be satisfied with those guys once they've got those guys under the thumb. That's right. Yeah. Now, David, you confirmed that uh, we talked about this last week a little bit, and and I was confused, at least I think you guys weren't so much, but you did in fact confirm that uh, President Obama's order to review a whole bunch of pending programs does not apply to the LASP? Well, because of the wording of it and because of the the status of the proposal, no, it does not affect this. So uh, if this was between the NPRM stage and final issue stage, it would. Right. So my point here is that we shouldn't think that that's going to slow this down. It it may well be slowing down of its own nature, but uh, it's not slowing down for that reason. And uh, if, if... you know, if one of your airports is on yeah. this list or if you just are of, a, of the same mind as us, you ought to maybe drop a line to your uh, representatives in Washington. Yeah, that, that's exactly – I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, Jack's exactly right. Um, the, the Obama uh, executive order to suspend implementation of new regulations does not apply to this 
because it had not been made a final rule with a um, um, goes into effect on such and such a date kind of uh, a publication. Instead, this is a, a proposal, and uh, there's a lot to be done to it at the uh, agency level, and as, as Dave correctly pointed out, at OMB and, and whatnot, before it gets to the point of be, being a final rule, we don't want to see it get that far, or at least not in no. its current form. Uh, I, personally, I don't want to see it get, get any further than it already has. I don't, I don't know that this is salvageable in its current form. I, I, it's, it's There's unnecessary. a great body of opinion that yeah. says it's not. Yeah, there, there's there's uh, uh, very few ways I can envision to salvage this thing. Um, it, it is identical. It, the, the analogy here is um, a motorhome, a privately operated motorhome, a privately operated uh, cabin cruiser um, uh, it, it would have to be inspected uh, the people on it searched uh, before they could board. Uh, uh, those are the analogies. Uh, we're just talking about aviation here. But um, it, it, it's that kind of an intrusion on civil liberties, and I just don't think it's appropriate. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's move along here. Um, Gladly. Off yes. Field, off field landing of the week. Uh, we've got a. Uh... <laughs> Did we talk about that? Oh, okay. No, this is a different. No, one. this 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 is one where people weren't, you know, up to their armpits and effluent. Yeah, I'm not. Fluent. You know, I'm not. Well, I don't know. Maybe that first one may apply, may qualify as an off field landing of the week, but this one definitely does. This is uh, from uh, Aeronews.net uh, story. I'll read the first couple paragraphs here. Um, it wasn't the prettiest shot ever seen at Prestonwood Country Club golf course, but for pilot Lance Sparks, it was definitely up to par. Now, as an aside, let me say, what a great pilot name, all right? Lance Sparks. Lance Sparks, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Television uh, channel KTXA11 reports that Sparks was flying his Cessna 172E Thursday from Paris, Texas, to the Dallas Air Park. When... Oh, this is a great line. You can still fly a plane without an engine, just not very far. <laughs> <laughs> so he developed engine problems and uh, was looking for places to set it down. And the story goes on to say that uh, with his options quickly running out, Sparks set up for a steep approach onto a fairway at Prestonwood, an exclusive country club that lies right on the extended center line of runway 16 at the air park, um, and uh, set it down there. Now, is this the one, we saw some pictures in another story of an aircraft that landed on a golf course and ended up in the, in one of the uh, sand traps. Is that this well, one? Well, this, 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 kind of this is kind of a repeat occurrence, and, and, and it will happen again. Golf courses have a, a habit of winding up hosting um, uh, transient aircraft, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, including, I, th I think we had an instance last year that we talked about where the guy landed on a golf course to drop off his son for mm -hmm. uh, a, oh, a, a yeah. tournament or a, uh, some kind of game. And it wasn't a forced landing. It was a... a, a uh, uh, that was stupid pilot tricks. That was that was a stupid pile of tricks, but uh, Mr. Sparks here, you know, he gets he gets our prize for this week's hole in one. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a ricochet shot because, according to this story, uh, Sparks landed the aircraft on an unoccupied tee box on a par three hole. The plane <laughs> bounced onto another nearby hole, but came to rest in a sand trap. So maybe he gets a mulligan on this. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, I, I couldn't argue with that. Yeah. I could, but Lance Sparks, we're uh, you know hats off to you, and we're glad that you walked away. That makes it a good landing in our book. Nice job, nice job. So, so I, I, will, will we start um, uh, measuring the length of uh, runways by their par? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I do uh, like that. That'd be great. Yeah, so I, I live on a I live on a par three runway in Florida. That's right. This is more like a par four for me, so yeah. I don't know. But I, oh, but I was I'm talking to somebody right? the other day about uh, they were they were they were telling me about uh, the uh, they they were explaining to me the importance of long runways. Yeah, and uh, he said like you know you know Salina's got one of the longest runways in the country. It's over twelve thousand feet. I went. Yeah, actually, I actually remember getting currency back there once. I did three takeoffs and three landings without ever getting beyond the ends of the runway. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, there's yeah same thing. Mather, a former Mather Air Force Base in California. I, I used to fly in and out of there on my in my 152s back way back when, and it was just a real thrill. You'd you'd reach pattern altitude before you reach the end of the runway. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. Was, it well, was, I think that the the main runway at Salina is probably a par six runway. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, so David, you pointed us to this story, but you didn't give us a link here. The headline you wrote is uh, Garmin Systems Shows How Seriously It Takes LSAs. What was that all about? Well, they introduced a, a, a new box that a lot of people treated as a spinoff from the 696. Actually, a pair of new boxes for the uh, light sport market. Uh, when I looked at it, looked at the press release and... Uh, some of the information, uh, I thought it was more like a spinoff from the uh, G300 that Garmin has awarded exclusivity to uh, Cessna for for uh, uh, the foreseeable future. That's going to be the, uh, the the primary flight display and, and multifunction display uh, that's standard in Cessna's Skycatcher 162 light sport aircraft. So, you know, maybe I interpret it a little differently. Maybe coming right behind the 695 and a 696 is what made people jump on it. But uh, it's another 300 series box, well, a pair of them, uh, that will, with the right accessories, uh, provide uh, full primary flight display, multifunction display, and weather data link display uh, as a retrofit uh, or, well, you can't really retrofit in LSAs, but as another item available to the OEMs in the LSA market. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that they'll be glad to sell it to you for the light experimental market as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, we, it's unfortunate that we didn't uh, get a chance to visit the uh, Sebring LSA show last weekend or late last week. Um, but I'm, I'm going to try and I'm going to give a call to uh, to our friend Dan Johnson uh, and maybe get him into the hangar. Hopefully, yeah, let's try as, to get him next week as yeah, ne- early as next good. week um, and let him uh, give us a report on how the show went. By all by all reports I've heard, it went really well. Um, yeah. it, that it was a, a everything have... but the little incident on the last morning. Yeah, they had an unfortunate incident. On on the last day, but uh, as far as the show goes, as far as a, a gathering of the uh, the LSA industry, uh, apparently it was quite successful, especially considering how rocky the uh, economy is these days. So, uh, so we'll get DJ uh, into the hangar sometime soon and let him report to us uh, on all the things that we missed. Um, so, uh, speaking of uh, avionics here, um, this is a this is news to me, Dave. You've called our attention to this one as well. Um, part of the uh, the you know. Washington is kind of thinking about doing bailouts left and right, and fortunately, at least one of them is proposed to to help the aviation industry. And now ba- you're bail, bailout's not the right choice of word here. Yeah, okay, stimulus proposal. Excuse me, it's only a bailout if it's the auto industry. Well, uh, it's only a bailout if you, if if the company is on the ropes and there's no okay. other hope for it. I'm and, being and a little that's not the here. case here. I'm being a little flippant here. The the good news. Okay. Well, tell us tell you tell us what the good news is about this. Well, we talked about this uh, uh, an episode or two back about how. Virtually every alphabet group in aviation, from the airlines down through the experimental community, uh, came together, signed a letter, uh, and and proposed to the uh, new Obama administration that uh, any economic stimulus package uh, that comes out of the the current work uh, include uh, stimulus monies for aviation programs. And they proposed $4 billion, which when you hear the monies that are being tossed around for this program and that program is, is really a drop in the bucket for the overall $825 billion that's been proposed. Uh, the uh, proposal was to uh, – the idea behind the industry uniting was that this would be a good way to speed up the development of the next-gen – air traffic control system infrastructure, uh, that it could employ a lot of people speeding up production of the ground stations, installation of the ground stations, and and this was something I proposed in a blog entry uh, a, a, a week or so ago, and I asked uh, Craig Fuller at AOPA about, in an interview about three weeks ago, uh, incentive money, tax credits in this case, I think it was, uh, to help fund the cockpit equipment in virtually all the aircraft flying in the United States, commercial and private, so that they are already in uh, by 
2012-2013 to use ADSB and GPS as sole source navigation and as a primary means of air traffic controllers keeping track of it. Um, if done the way that the industry was talking about it, the uh, the ground stations would deliver to all the airplanes things like weather data link and traffic data link that a lot of folks still don't have. Uh, a lot of folks do, and it wouldn't render those obsolete. It would just a- actually add some depth to them. Unfortunately, the way the uh, it proposal is being worked right now is that uh, the uh, Obama administration is looking at airport improvement projects as the primary expenditure in the stimulus plan. And there's some wisdom in that, too, because uh, we actually need both. Yeah, yeah. Now, this is this story is referring to $4 billion, and I seem to remember last week we talked about $3 billion. Has this number gone up, or is this a different number? No, no. This was what they originally proposed, and the Obama administration has put in $3 billion as their target I for see. aviation stimulus. And they <clears> want to spend primarily on airport improvement projects that would create a lot of construction jobs, for, for sure, Uh and uh, move up a lot of pending airport improvement projects. Uh, when it comes to airport improvement and easing congestion and reducing delays, additional runway space is 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 got to come along in parallel to the capacity improvements that are envisioned by the next gen system. Right. And if all you can do is cram more airplanes into the airspace funneling into LaGuardia but you can't increase the runway acceptance rate at LaGuardia, then you're not going to get anywhere. Right. But as we've discovered, the big problem with adding runways is not the cost of building the runways. It's it's the political, you know. Exactly. Well, it, it's, it's a little of both. Uh, you know, part of the political resistance often comes from the uh, local communities commitment to to share in the expense of it and there are folks in communities that don't want more runway space because they you know they don't want more airplanes flying over their houses yeah. uh, but there's proposals to build new airports outside of urban areas to siphon off some of the traffic that doesn't have to go through the hub airport uh, this has come before they were called waypoints back in the eight, wayports back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's construction projects coming along in Chicago. Uh, Dallas is uh, not adding more runway space right now, but they're adding a perimeter taxiway system that will improve the flow of airliners in and out of there by eliminating the need for any airplane to cross any active runway. Uh, now that can help capacity flow to a small extent yeah. as well. Safety mainly, too. it helps. Mainly, it helps safety. Safety, you know, yeah, but uh, help, well, that's true. But the, runway incursions. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, there's 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 definitely always going to be the need for more pavement, and I'm going to be the last one to say that we should be you know not pushing pavement as part of the solution. But uh, if they really want want to see next gen move into the front seat for air traffic control and they want it to be a functional system by 2020 as the FAA originally proposed putting the stimulus package to work to complete the ground network to uh, complete the uh, network that feeds the controller screens and to equip all the aircraft out there would be an ideal way to start the transition mm-hmm. And that way we would have parallel systems in place for the time it took for them to learn how to take best advantage of next gen from a procedural point of view. Because ADSB and the GPSs that go with it, uh, you know, bring a lot of benefits like instrument, uh, like ILS level approach capability to airports that don't have an ILS. We've already seen about 1,500 of those approaches written in the last few years. Uh, and there's a lot of airports that still don't have any and a lot of runway ends that still don't have any. Uh, And the availability of the equipment is going to make more people more interested in using those. They'll start going to airports like Augusta instead of Jabara when they need to go to Augusta because Augusta right now only has a VOR approach. Jabara has an ILS. Well, if you can get an ILS-level approach or within 100 feet of it into Augusta, and Augusta is where you need to be, 
then that helps solve a problem. So I'm optimistic that there's going to be some middle ground found here that will not make everybody kick up their heels and say, we won, we won everything, but we'll move the rock up the hill sufficiently to let us see progress that we really haven't seen in the last five years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm looking here at the, at the, current text of the bill i don't see anything in here but i'm still looking yeah well i you know i i confess i i don't completely i haven't completely digested this stuff and i'm not sure exactly what i think about it but it, it certainly is encouraging to to hear that aviation is being considered amongst all this economic it's, stuff. i'm encouraged to hear all these groups singing from the same page of the hymnal that's a good thing yeah we've, we've gotten re- relatively good at that over the last few years and uh, uh hopefully we can keep that up well, and we're we're also optimistic that by year's end, by year's end, that's how optimistic I am, that we will have a five-year FAA reauthorization uh, yeah. that retains the excise tax structure, yeah. uh, because uh, all the stars are aligned for that to be the outcome right now. Yeah, yeah. How does that work now? Does it does it go five years from when they finally reauthorize, or does it go from when it yeah, should be reauthorized finally, in the first place? No, five well, years when they reauthorize finally. Yeah, they they have to write that into the bill, of course. But uh, yeah. that would uh, yeah. um, they have just, they have to pass the bill first. Yeah, just like when they uh, confirm a new FAA administrator. That five-year term for that administrator will start the day that that administrator is sworn in. Okay. Yeah. Rather than, you know, it's been counting since Marion Blakey left. If that was the case, whoever got sworn in would barely have three years on the job. And the law was written to guarantee them five years without the ability of the president to fire them unilaterally. can still fire them for cause, but that's a lot different than the usual you know, I got another friend. I want that job. You're out of here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, let's see now. We're, uh, here's a story that, that, uh, is, uh, I don't know, a little bittersweet almost to me. Um, the, uh, uh, the AOPA fly-in that they've been doing every year down at, uh, down at, uh, Frederick, 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 uh, Maryland, uh, Frederick Municipal Airport. Um, they've announced, AOPA has announced that they're not going to be doing that fly-in uh, next spring, I guess it is, or early summer. And uh, the, instead, they're going to redirect the funds that went into that to other programs around the country. And they're, they're, they do a lot of great outreach stuff with town meetings and, and, and all sorts of things. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of nice that they're going to kind of spread it out a little bit. But uh, this was just a cool fly-in. Did you guys ever go to this fly-in? Yeah, I've been to it. I have, I, you know, of course, living in the D.C. area as long as I did, I never flew in. I drove in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but it was still a great event. Um, yeah, I attended once about almost ten years ago, and it was a big deal back then. I can only imagine how big it's become. Yeah. Well, in you know, I haven't been in recent years. Now, people who have indicated that it's kind of gotten smaller, and while I really? I. Uh, yeah, that uh, last year, for example, the weather really sucked, and, and yeah. uh, uh, you, you can't control that. Um, there's some speculation that um, um, there's more than uh, an altruistic reason on on AOPA's part that it wants to conduct its out- outreach differently uh, going on here, and, and the speculation is that um, a with with dwindling or uh, let's just say decreasing attendance, uh, and B with the um, uh, current economic troubles that are starting to impact uh, uh, even name brand uh, uh, aviation companies in this country, that um, AOPA realized that in '09 anyway, uh, and probably in the foreseeable future, that the sponsorships and the uh, uh, industry participation and attendance just wasn't going to be what it has been. Sure, I have no doubt uh, that that's the case. And, I mean, that's you know, that's my you day know, job. I work well, in the yeah, industry, sure, and uh, sure, and uh, you know, it's it is not. I mean, and whatever size this thing is, if it's anything like it was when I went in, like I think I went in 2000 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is uh, not a small task. Uh, they 
spend a lot of cash on it. And not only do they spend a lot of cash on it, I'm certain that it takes up a lot of mind share of their staff. Uh, oh, yeah. Putting this thing oh, together yeah. uh, when they could be doing other uh, AOPA tasks. Well, and, and uh, you know, in, in fairness, you know, to, to balance this out a little bit, uh, this is more in line with the new president's philosophy on how AOPA should be working to reach pilots. Yeah. Did you guys uh, talk about this? Had this been announced when you guys spoke the other day? It had not been announced. Uh, I'd heard rumblings through a couple of old friends that are still there from the days when I was uh, an AOPA staffer uh-huh. uh, that uh, that this thing was at risk. But it was more. It was it was portrayed to me as more of a combination of things. Yeah. One is that shows are getting tougher to support right now, and they got a lot of outside vendor support. Who you know uh, companies that came in to exhibit their wares, brought in airplanes to do workshop and so forth, uh, and and a lot of companies are cutting back to a certain extent on that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, NBAA was having its first light business aviation expo in San Diego in March. Uh, they've already trimmed that by a day to a two-day event from what was originally going to be a three-day event. Yeah. Uh, they just announced NBAA also that they were going to be reducing the fees and, and expenses for attending their main convention uh, in Orlando this fall. Uh, the uh, uh, Sun and Fun fly-in was already shortened up by a day two years ago because of uh, cost pressures for the exhibitors. And Craig Fuller, the new president of AOPA, is very adamant about doing more outreach to the pilot community out where they live than has been going on the last couple of years. Now, Phil Boyer, for years, did an extraordinary job of getting out into the pilot community with his uh, uh, pilot town meetings. Tremendous amount of work, kept him on the road several days a month, every month, year in, year out for years. Uh, It was one of the... uh, uh, incentives to them upgrading to a citation jet uh, because doing that in the uh, in the old AOPA Cessna Conquest had gotten increasingly expensive and it was slow relatively speaking hmm. uh, and the new jet actually saved them time and money but the last two years or so Phil had kind of uh, put the town meeting schedule on the shelf uh, ostensibly as it, we were told uh, back in uh, uh, 07 to stay close to the reauthorization fight when there was this tremendous effort by the Air Transport Association to convince Congress to go for a user fee-based system to fund the FAA and the AIP program, air traffic control, and, and all that stuff. And as that got locked up, Phil never went back out on the road with the town meeting things. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Yeah. Fuller told me in no uncertain terms that he wanted to restore or resume some outreach like that, but do it in a different form and get the association out to more events and get him out to in the front of more groups. Uh, for example, I'm, I'm attending a luncheon here tomorrow, uh, Wednesday the 28th, of the uh, fledgling Wichita Aero Club. It's only their second meeting since they were formed last fall. The guest speaker tomorrow is Craig Fuller. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, we wish, uh, as always, we wish AOP the best. Um, big fans. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, I understand. It's sad that they had to make this choice, but uh, I understand, and I, I think it'll work out. I have to wonder whether or not AOPA might, maybe after skipping a year, do something back more to its grassroots roots uh, and, uh, you know, just kind of announce a Saturday that they're going to set up a barbecue pit and uh, let mm-hmm. people fly in. Instead of doing a big expo with tents and, you know, whatever, um, do something a little bit more. Maybe. I don't know. That would be my wish if, you know. Um, but time will tell. Time yeah. will tell. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Um you know, we talked, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, or sometime recently we talked about using flight simulator software for uh, <laughs> flight training. And uh, coincidentally, or maybe not, um, this new story comes into the news in the last week or so that uh, uh, Microsoft, in making a number of 
uh, cuts, staff cuts uh, inside the company. One of the groups that has been cut pretty deeply is the uh, engineering group that creates Microsoft Flight Simulator. And eliminated. Uh, was it outright eliminated? So now there's yeah. some speculation of whether this is a foreshadowing of Microsoft uh, 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 canceling the, the product itself. Uh, I would I would expect that there would be a market for the intellectual property that somebody oh, would absolutely. be willing to buy and continue. Uh, so I would doubt seriously that in, in the end of the uh, maybe uh, it, I, it will I, go away. But. I don't follow this part of the software industry, but it seems to me that the X-Plane folks must have made huge inroads into the uh, Microsoft uh, business. Well, they have. Uh, Flight Simulator is uh, probably you know the second rather the runner up in that market i haven't followed that market for years myself um but you know they, they got a screenshot here this is uh, uh jim fallows uh, isn't that a great uh, screenshot blog uh they got a, and, and if you follow a link through here that there's even more screenshots uh, available of um you know 25 years ago uh flight simulator screens and how I far remember. we've this well, used to be the coolest this. piece of software. This, this was the best thing since glazed donuts. And but if and, for, and, uh, and, that, and that's a shot of an airport runway that's no longer there. Oh, that's that's right. Meg's Field that's in Meg's Chicago. Field. For 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 listeners who aren't able to call up this image, it's a uh, um, uh, you know now it looks ancient. It looks you know um, of a uh, a bitmap screen. It's a very jaggy image of a uh, of the uh, the panel of an aircraft showing the uh, the basic instruments along with the VOR stuff and the uh, the com heads and uh, this is like this is like four color. 320 by uh, 240 resolution. Yeah. Um, it's it's just it, it's this is PC Junior yeah. or original original IBM PC resolution uh, on this. And but you know the software ran and it yeah. ran well. It was uh, cool. All things considered, on on machines of that caliber. Nowadays, of course, you know we've gotten uh, we, we've gone far far beyond that. But mm-hmm. uh, the thing of it is, as we were talking, <clears throat> whether it was last episode or the one before that or, or whenever. About uh, the utility of these these um, uh, flight simulators, um, it was still a, a decent training aid uh, for for learning the procedures right. uh, associated with instrument flight, for example, or sometimes just just visual flight. Um, and, and of course, it's just gotten light years better nowadays. Uh, but I suspect some iteration of of Microsoft Flight Simulator will be around. It might not be published by Microsoft anymore, Um, but who knows? Um, X-Plane is certainly a good product. So is Flight Simulator. Uh, it's my old buddy Bruce Williams, who I used to see uh, at Sun and Fun in Oshkosh every year. He was one of the original developers of Flight Sim. That uh, when it got uh, uh, absorbed by Microsoft, he went with it. And he used to show up at Oshkosh to, you know, kick off the new booth. And I guess that's something else that will be missing from Oshkosh this year is the uh, Microsoft Flight Sim booth with yeah. its big monitors and, and you know, people taking turns trying out different uh, control architecture. But I want to point out something here that yeah. uh, the first word of this, I think, in circulation after the announcement itself uh, was picked up by some of our listeners and posted to the Uncontrolled Airspace Forum site within minutes of it showing up on the ACES website that's uh, Microsoft's uh, website for the flight simulator uh, uh, program fans. It's the place and, to go for your news. You know, uh, my hat's off to those guys. I'm like Jeb. Uh, I had several versions of Flight Sim and got joysticks and other add-ons for oh, yeah. his, uh, his Christmas presents over the years, uh, but uh, kind of fell off of it, I don't know, better than a decade ago and haven't followed it much since. But I know reams of people who still use it to keep their uh, awareness of you know, how instrument approaches are supposed to look, what the needles are supposed to look like, uh, to practice some of their basic flying skills like turns around a point and so forth, uh, or to just entertain themselves with, you know, an afternoon cross country that you can accomplish in an hour that would take you all day in a real airplane. Mm-hmm. So uh, I hope Bruce doesn't have any trouble finding work. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, none of those guys will have a hard time finding work, I'm sure. Uh, well, there we go. Uh, shout outs. I've got one I wanted to mention here. 
Um, and that is that uh, I, I talked about this a bunch of weeks ago, uh, that uh, uh, Sanford Regional Airport, the uh, S- Southern Maine Aviation uh, FBO, was, uh, and was considering doing a, uh, an IFR ground school. And that's all come together now. And uh, the, uh, the, the IFR, they decided to go with the uh, eight-week program. Uh, so they're going to do uh, eight weeks of Sunday mornings from 8 to noon, and uh, it begins uh, on, uh, I believe it's the 8th of January, which is a, a week from this weekend. And I spoke to them today and put my name on the list. I'm going to uh, outstanding. I'm going to start the uh, the IFR ground school. This is actually re- recovering very cool, um, very cool uh, ground that I covered once before. I think I mentioned this that I took uh, IFR ground school and actually took the test um, probably. F- uh, maybe not quite 15 years ago, but uh, but over 10 years ago, and uh, long ago, my my test score timed out. But uh, so we're going to do that again, and then uh, maybe next summer we'll see uh, see what I might do, or maybe next spring see what I might do with the flying part. But uh, but we're going to do the we're going to do the ground school, and uh, and eventually we'll return to the uh, to the uh, tailwheel training, and uh, and any day now I hope to go up there and finish the GoBosh checkout. So. Uh, Except because it's going to snow a foot tomorrow, so another another week will be lost. You know, but uh, well, make a good cross country skiing trip, wouldn't it? Yeah, I know, I know. Well, I you know, I really am looking forward to flying with snow on the ground. I I truly have not done a lot of flying at all in my life with snow on the it's ground. It's different. It, and, it's magical. Uh, the landscape looks different. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's very very different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I know you... about all the kind of you know calm air kind of thing, and that makes sense to me. But the 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 view is the part that I'm kind of looking forward to too. That uh, the you know, the ground being white and the hills in the distance, and you know. So, anyways, um, that's sort of my shout out. Um, anyone who is uh, up here in the uh, in the vicinity of Sanford Regional Airport who is has like me been considering um, starting his IFR training? You might want to check out southernmainaviation.com and uh, maybe sign up for their ground school. What anything, anything else? Not for me. No, we did this so so recently that uh, kind of exhausted my. That's uh, Jeb Burnside. Uh, you are an aviation journalist currently serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. And Jeb, where can people find you on the net? AviationSafetyMagazine.com, and uh, occasionally you know, we got into this a little bit last last episode. Occasionally, you'll see an ep- uh, not an episode, but a video or some other content from me on AvWeb. Also, uh, Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer. He's also a senior editor for Kit Planes Magazine and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the internets? Oh, avbuyer.com, AEA.net, or just Google Dave Higdon and ignore the physicist and the golf writer. <laughs> there you go. And I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, a new media producer, and soon to be IFR ground school student. There's a. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? what There's what? a physicist named Dave Higdon? That's just wrong. <laughs> you can find Tell me, me about it, man. I, uh... <laughs> That's just wrong. <laughs> You can Spooky, find... isn't it? <laughs> You're not going to let me say this. Right? You can find me on the internet at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. As always, a big thanks to Jeff Scoffrey Jet Ward for creating our show notes and also to our many listeners uh, and particularly to Roy Searle and Mike Morgan for the show opening disclaimer clips. And don't forget that you can visit with us all at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, you can view the forums, check out the wiki, the airport restaurants list, the aviation movies list and more. All of that at uncontrolledairspace.com. Who wants to say it today? David, you? Jeb, you? David, go ahead. Well, we should all go flying because you live longer. Time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Get some air underneath you. Bye-bye. There you go. And that's enough talking for this week. Let's all go flying. TTFN. TTFN.